on radio, streaming live on investtalk.com, and for our podcast subscribers. This is InvestTalk, above average investing for the average investor. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. And now, KPP Financial President, Financial Advisor, Steve Peasley. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. Hi, my name is Sarah from Irvine, and I had a question about backdoor Roth IRA account. Um, my husband and I, our income is too high for a Roth IRA, and I was wondering when a backdoor Roth IRA made sense and what the tax benefits and tax liabilities are. Thank you so much for your content. I love the podcast. Okay, well, this is a pretty difficult question because it's specific to a person and a family situation. So do you have a 401k? Are you maxing that out too? Do you have a regular IRA and a Roth IRA? And are you putting money in both of those? A backdoor uh, a backdoor Roth IRA is where you take it out of the regular IRA and put it into the Roth. And what's benefit about that? Because when you move it, you can move bigger chunks of money than you can invest in any IRA any one year. And also, in a Roth, the money grows tax-free, whereas a regular IRA, all that money is going to be taxed as you withdraw it. So it's very specific to the people involved. So I can't just give you an overall answer whether it's good for you or not good for you. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Jason from New Hampshire, and I was calling to ask about my father in retirement. He's 58 right now and plans on retiring when he's 67. He doesn't have any retirement savings but would like to start conservatively. And I'm just curious what would be the best approach slash strategy for uh, strategy for him. Would love to hear back from you. Thanks. Okay, so he wants to be conservative. So he doesn't want to be fully in the mark, stock market. That's not conservative. That's aggressive. But what he can do is find an ETF or other type of investment that's not necessarily fully exposed to stocks. And it could be a, a balanced type of program where you have stocks and bonds. And he really should just keep buying it every paycheck or every month, the same amount. That's called dollar cost averaging. And just keep doing it for the next 10 years. Just keep doing it. No matter if the market goes down or up, just keep doing it. And he'll have a decent amount of money when he retires. Now, since he's getting such a very late start, he, you know, unless he puts a lot of money away every month, you know, he's not going to have that great of a a grade of a pile of money to live on in retirement. So he's got to have some other sources of income, Social Security or whatever else. You've got to figure that out. Very, very important. Okay, let's go to Jim in Carlsbad. How are you doing, Jim? Uh, the question I had was about the mutual fund versus the exchange-traded fund. Mm-hmm. What exactly is the difference between those? Okay, ETFs are fairly new, I and mean, there's lots of it's kind of exploding and take a lot of money out of the mutual fund, so it's kind of an interesting thing. The mutual fund has a manager, okay? He may be a large-cap mutual fund. He may be a small-cap. He may have a discipline that he is employing, and he states that in the prospectus. And he says, I'm going to buy large-cap stocks. So he 
goes out and buys those large gaps and he manages, he buys and sells and he tries to manage that portfolio to make money. A ETF, exchange traded fund, is an unmanaged fund. It follow indexes like the QQQs or the SPYs or it can follow a sector like uh, the insurance sector or the banking sector or oil sector. It could be an ETF that just has those group of stocks in them, but they're not managed at this point. Most of the time they're not managed. They're not managing the ETF. You're just buying that group of stocks and there you go. So one is much more managed than the other. On the other hand, ETFs are much cheaper because they're not managed. It's the cheaper fees than a mutual fund. So ETFs that's the, are more focused on industry groups then and rather than uh, capital value? Or? And areas of the world, even country-specific sometimes, oh. or just areas of the market, yes. Great. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate the call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Owen from Redding, California. I'm calling to ask on your opinion about the EV sector. I've been watching it for a while now, and I've been wanting to get some exposure to it, but it seems overpriced. So. I've been watching Xping, Neo, Tesla, Nikola, and all the stocks seem either way overpriced to me or they seem like they're not a very good stock. So I was just wondering if you know of a cheaper stock that has a future that is in the EV market that's not so overpriced or overbought right now, or if you are looking at a certain stock and you're looking for a drawback. Thanks and all be listening on the podcast. Now, of course, we cannot just bring up companies and tell you to invest in them. Another one, the SEC wouldn't let us. But don't just look at, when you're talking about the electric vehicle market, don't just look at the car companies. Look at where parts, what parts do they get those from? What, the parts in that car come from somewhere. They don't make them all. I mean, you know, so look deeper. Uh, and the technology that's really changing and a lot of money is being poured into it is the electric vehicle. In the electric vehicle industry is batteries. And that's why I would suggest you look. So you, remember, Volkswagen said all their cars are going to go electric in the next few years. Well, that's a lot of batteries being produced by somebody. So widen your view. That's what I would say. And, you know, the big car companies also are going to go electric. Volkswagen, GM, GM just got the, recently their price upgraded by some analysts because of the electric vehicles that they're coming out with. So think more globally. Hi, Justin. This is Ray. My strategy is to get in to their stock when it's low and at the dip and then um, sell it when it's high. I know it's not something that uh, people like. I mean, uh, you guys agree with that. But I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than what I was expecting. 75% of the time I'm doing good. So I was wondering, uh, is there anything wrong with this strategy? That's a conversation between me and my wife. She's 
buy and hold type, I'm not. So I was wondering, what would you think about that? Thank you. Well, your strategy is basically buy the dip. Uh, And in a bull market, that works perfectly fine, right? Because every dip gets bought. And frankly, investors have been conditioned to invest this way, right? Because uh, any dip, any major dip, the Fed will come in and kind of stimulate the economy. Now it's the government coming in and stimulate the economy uh, and getting money into uh, the hands of uh, people and investors and companies. And so that's simply the market environment we're in. Now in a bear market, buying the dip does not work, right? Because every dip may get bought, but guess what? That rally gets sold and then it goes lower and lower. And so you're doing well because it works in an up environment, in a bull market environment. And so don't confuse your success with something that is going to work forever. It will work as long as we are in a bull market. And like I said earlier, different market environments, different strategies work. This is a buy and hold. So this is the buy the dip type of market. And that's why you are successful today. Here are the directions for reaching Steve this afternoon with your question. Just call 888-99-CHART, C-H-A-R-T. Have a question about how best to get into the market? Or maybe you're feeling unsure about your current investments. That's what this is all about. This is InvestTalk. Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Todd in Colorado. Six-month listener here. Love the show. Uh, I have a question about where to store holdings for stock buying and investing. I have an IRA, but it's maxed for the year. Is it wise or even legal to have several IRA accounts? Or what is the best way to set up accounts to invest from? Anyway, appreciate everything you guys do. Love the show. And I look forward to hearing the answer. Have a good one. Well, thank you for the kind words about my uh, my grandfather, Jerry. Uh, but when it comes to IRAs, you can hold as many IRAs as you want. There's no limit. There's nothing illegal about having multiple IRAs. You can have different brokerage firms, same brokerage firm. Well, that doesn't really make a whole, whole lot of sense. But uh, you can certainly do that. It's about the IRA contributions. That's what matters is how much money. And you can put. You can have six IRAs and put 1000 each every year for your $6,000 annual contribution. So if you have extra money, though, I would be putting, you you can make non-deductible IRA contributions. That is something you can do. It becomes a a little trickier to track, right? Because you have to make sure that the IRS knows that, that there's money in there. So when you take it out, that it's not taxed, et cetera. Uh, But uh, you can also put that into uh, a regular brokerage account. Uh, and invested that way. So, no, there's nothing that prevents you from having multiple IRAs. It's definitely not illegal. It's just about the money that goes in. Here comes another question, this time from a listener in Colorado. Hi, guys. Raquel from Denver here. Uh, new listener and really enjoying learning more about investing. So, thanks for that. I have a question. I lived overseas in Australia and left a decent chunk of money there in a bank account and a retirement account. Right now, with the exchange I would lose 25% if I exchange to U.S. dollars from Aussie dollars. And I don't know if I could invest there or what I should do. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, we hear this from time to time. Now, we're not international tax accountants, so uh, you're probably going to have to 
find this information elsewhere. Uh, I'm not sure what the rules are on uh, repatriating those money, that money from Australia to the U.S. So I, I, I would go to another source for that. Uh, but I wouldn't look at what you would lose, right, by translating that back into dollars. Now, the dollar's down a bit, um, so hopefully that's improved recently compared to the Australian dollar. But I would think of it more of what is my opportunity cost, what am I invested in over there, uh, can I do better over here, will it grow better over here, uh, and trying to get that money back in. So uh, I know a lot of people incorrectly try to get back to even, right? They, they don't want to take that loss or you'll feel like it was a loss. Uh, so don't think of it that way. Think of the opportunity cost of being able to invest in here in the U.S. in and have more control over those assets as well. So good luck in getting those assets moved over. Hello, my name is Sue. I'm with in Florida. Just started listening to your show. I'm about 10 years away from retirement, and I'm trying to educate myself. Uh, right now, my portfolio is with Edward Jones and... I don't know, I keep reading that they are quite expensive. But my question is relating to you refer to position, buy a position, buy a half a position. What exactly does that mean? Is a position the the cost of the stock or is it a specific amount of money and depending on how many you can how many stocks you can buy for one position? Just trying to educate myself. Love your show. Have a good day. Bye. Well, thank you for the question. I really appreciate that. A position means we're buying a stock or an ETF most of the time, or a bond. Most of the time, I'm referring to a stock. And a position for us, we like to not buy more than 3% of any one stock or any one position in our stock programs. So when I say, uh, well, we put in a half a position, that means I bought one and a half percent of the portfolio and of course that means a number of shares depends how big your portfolio is right a hundred thousand portfolio is very different than a million dollar portfolio but one and a half percent is still one and a half percent now would be a half a position three percent is a full position so it's it's a question of how much of a portfolio that you're buying and we buy three percent many people you can buy up to five percent but you know if you want to like ease into something you don't have to buy the whole position another three percent or the whole five percent so sometimes i mean we bought one percent sometimes and then buy another percent and another percent three three purchases especially since there's no no trading costs anymore so that's what we mean by position. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your question. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, 888 992 Good evening, Steve and Justin. Dylan here. I'm calling from Oregon. I have a question about index funds and dividends. What happens with the dividends that are issued to the fund managers, which I assume are buying the individual stocks that comprise the index? Do the fund investors ever see that money? 
for instance, the majority of my portfolio is lumped into Schwab's SWPPX, which tracks uh, S&P 500. And I know that a handful of stocks in that index issue dividends. Uh, could I be potentially missing out on some extra income here? Uh, thank you, and I look forward to your answer. So the dividends come into the index, okay? The dividends are paid to the index, and the net asset value, the price of that index, goes down the exact exact amount of the amount of the dividend. So if you've got a thirty cents dividend, that stock, that ETF or index fund will go down that exact same amount. The same is true for stocks. If you own AT and T and they paid a six percent dividend, your stock price will go down six percent. Exactly the same amount of the dividend. Did you know that? See, some people think they can buy the stock the day before they go ex-dividend, meaning that the day before they pay the dividend, and therefore they'll make the dividend and then sell the stock, and they just made the dividend without any risk. That's wrong. When they go ex-dividend, the stock opens up at the exact amount of the dividend down on the price. Same thing would do with the in, true with the indexes. Now, now of course the index has the money, right? So they got to reinvest it. If you had the individual stock, you would have the money, and you could do whatever you want with it. But an index doesn't pay it out to you necessarily. You know, some of the ETFs specialize in paying it out to you. And they will, yeah, they'll they'll pay it out to you. So it depends on you. Got to know how that. Uh, ETF or index is structured, how they do that. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. It's Steve Osher calling from New Hampshire. Love the show. Just had a quick question about Roth 401k contributions inside my employer plan. So when it comes time to take those contributions out, typically how does that work? Because obviously I have traditional and then I also have the Roth contribution inside my 401k. So just curious if you guys can fill me in on, on generally how that process works. So I really appreciate it. I look forward to the answer on the podcast. Thanks. Well, I'm assuming you're talking about getting the money out of your employer uh, first off. So if you do leave uh, or you hit 59 and a half and you can do an in-service rollover, then you would roll you would open an IRA and a Roth IRA and you would roll the uh, the pre-tax one uh, 401k into your IRA and your post-tax the Roth portion uh, over into a Roth IRA. So uh, it's pretty simple. You want to make sure those are separate and and uh, I'm sure your uh, your 401k provider is going to keep those separate. And it's up to you after that to, to make sure that they're separate. And when you take money out, uh, then what that does, it gives you the ability to pick and choose when you want to take that money out, depending on your tax situation. So 
in retirement, say you're in a high tax bracket for whatever reason, maybe it's the year you do retire and you're still making a good amount of money and you're, uh, you're, you know, you retire uh, maybe halfway through the year, for example, uh, and you're in a decently high tax bracket, then you can take money out of your Roth IRA and not add to your taxable income for that year. But let's say you're five years in retirement, six years in retirement, you don't have a lot of other income besides maybe Social Security, uh, maybe you have a pension or something, and you're in a low tax bracket, then you can say, okay, I'm going to take money out of, my, out of my IRA or even do a Roth conversion uh, into your, your Roth. And that's a, a strategy to think about as well. So uh, that's more of a question for your tax professional, your CPA, to kind of guide you on the most tax efficient way to take that distribution in retirement. Thanks for the call. Let's go to JP in San Francisco. How are you doing, JP? Hey, I got a question. You know how uh, whenever you talk to a finance radio talk show, uh-huh. they always uh, talk about how analysts is like they're just pumping up stocks. They're usually wrong. So I they're mean, not always wrong, but they're usually wrong. But majority of the time, they're wrong. Right. I would say more than fifty percent. So what about using as a strategy, just going opposite what they always talk about? <laughs> yeah, that might be a good strategy. I've never never thought about that. What I have noticed is what happens is they are they're usually wrong. It's the degree of how wrong they're going to be. Someone did a study. I read this a few months back from the very initial looking at a stock. In other words, let's say eBay came out with earnings tonight, and now the analysts are going to be predicting what they're going to do next quarter. From this point right now, they're usually off, according to this article, about 40, 40%. Wow. But what they do is they keep changing their numbers as the quarter goes by. So even at the very end, they're still wrong. They're just not as wrong as they were before. Now that could be wrong high or low. You never know how what side of the coin they're gonna be wrong on. Oh. So that's the problem. That's interesting. All right, good enough. Thank okay. you. Thank you. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. You can get through right now. This is Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Talk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. How about if we go to Bill in Livermore? How you doing, Bill? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. You? I'm great. I'm really doing well. My question was, what's the difference between a registered investment advisor and a certified financial planner? Very good question, and there is a great difference. 
A registered investment advisor is a guy who manages portfolios. We actually manage money. A financial planner does not manage money. A financial planner manages every piece of aspect of your financial life. In other words, he may suggest you buy life insurance. He'll talk about your medical coverage. He'll talk about your house and what kind of mortgage you have. And maybe you need to refinance or get a different mortgage. And he will talk about you know where you should put your money in this mutual fund or that. And he'll sell you loaded funds. He'll tell you to put them in loads. But he himself does not manage money. A registered investment advisor gets paid taking a small piece of the money he manages, a financial planner usually gets paid in one of two ways. He gets commission on the products he sells, life insurance, house and uh, remortgaging a house, he gets a fee for that. He gets a fee for sending you to loaded funds, okay? But he physically does not manage the money, which an advisor does. We get paid a fee for managing the money. Okay. Thank okay. you for the call. Bye. 888-99 Charter is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. We're going to go to Chris and Hayward. How are you doing, Chris? I was just curious. You're flipping through the dials and listening to you. I was curious that there's been so much uh, you know, online infomercials and stuff like that. In fact, I even attended recently a, uh, like a Teach Me to Trade type. Um, and I don't know anything about stock. They obviously were you know, really flashy and had a lot of information. I was curious if I can get your opinion on that kind of stuff. You know, unfortunately, people make it sound like it's super exciting. You can get in and out. You buy it at the bottom, sell at the top. And you could do this and everybody could do this. Chris, to be honest, it's a lot harder than it seems. Yeah. It really is. The stock market moves up when earnings increase. That's as simple as that. If you have a company that makes money and it makes more and more money, eventually the stock price will move up. The problem, Chris, is it's not a perfect correlation. In other words, if my earnings go up today, the stock doesn't go up today. Because all of us guys, me included, are looking for next year because I want to be ahead of everybody else. We're all competing with each other. So Chris, if I can mention just one thing to put in your head. Stock prices move up on earnings. Now, I know you're, you're going to say, and, and it is true, well, you got stocks that go up all the time that don't have earnings. Yes, that's true. Those are called story stocks. They have a great story. I have the next cure for cancer. The stock will shoot up. Right. But in the fact, if they don't come out with that cure for cancer, that stock will shoot right back down and go lower. So that's a story that they don't have it yet, that they're working on it. Earnings actually means I have made money, I am making money, I'm putting it in my pocket, and you as a stockholder, remember you own this company, you have made money. If you don't believe me, look at Microsoft over all its history. It's gone up 10,000% since it started, thousands and thousands of percent. It's because it's always made money. It has not moved in two years and still makes a lot of money. That's why I mean it's not a perfect correlation. Right, I hear you. <laughs> that can happen to you. But if you're going to be in this game any length of time, Chris, buy stocks that make money, you'll be a lot happier in the long run. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate the call. Let's go to David in Chula Vista. How are you doing, David? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Uh, I got a question about a local company, the ServiceNow, that's going to be going public soon. Uh-huh. I like what the company does. haven't uh, got a chance to dive into fundamentals yet. 
but how long would you generally wait before starting to get involved with something like this? If a company comes out IPO, trying to buy it on the first day is very, very difficult, Dave, because, you know, that many times if the IPO market's hot, it comes out, they say, well, it's going to be $14 a share, and the first trade is 18 Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. You and I can't get it at 14 you know, and we're buying it for, from the people who got it at 14. They're selling to us at 18. They've already made a huge profit, and they're out. So Yeah, and then I'm stuck with it at a high point. Exactly. So that's why I tell people, stay away from it. Usually, wait till six months. And this is why, David. After six months, the insiders are now allowed to sell some shares. They are precluded from doing that for about six months. In other words, they have to hold on. The insiders have to hold on to the shares for about six months. Oh, okay. So what you see after about six months, generally speaking, starting a little bit before six months, is the stock starts trading down back close to its IPO price very often. Very okay, often. that makes sense. I'll, I'll sit tight and then take a look then. Yeah, just keep watching. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. Been listening for a while and have got some great advice. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the InvestTalk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. Hi, guys. Big fan of the show. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. I think for like the next 10 years, commodities are going to be doing very well. If it's in the money, you probably just want to sell it. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. Absolutely love your show. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions. Everyone who listens to this program either is a beginner or was one at that one time. So we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? Is that when you hear a company say it's going to buy its own stock back, that's a good thing. Yes. But let's say the company's current stock price is $20. What price are they buying their own stock back? They usually buy it in the open market, just like you would do that. Right. What they do, if you pay attention, David, they say we're going to buy back $500 million worth of our own stock. Right. They'll say, we'll do that over the next year, two years, five years. They'll tell you the length of time. Oh, okay. And they will say that. And then they don't just go out and buy it like tomorrow. No, 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 no. And sometimes they'll buy it when they think it's the right time to buy it on low prices. Or the most common thing is they look for a downturn in that, that stock price and they'll buy it then to try to hold the price up. Do they, like, dollar cost average their own stock then? The, Nope. Uh-uh. They might buy $100 million today and then wait six months and buy another $200 million then. It's totally up to them, and they don't tell you what their plan is in Oh, detail. okay. So has their plan ever been to drive their own stock price down purposely to buy shares? Most of the time, no. It's to drive it up. No, I, no I mean, but I mean to buy their stock back at a cheaper price. 
No, they have no way to drive it down. They can't okay. manipulate it. In other words, oh, okay. that would be very bad, and they would get in a lot of trouble by the oh, FCC. Yeah, right. But, you know, these guys get in trouble all the time for doing crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> okay. If your answer is could they, the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Could. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they could. Sure. Yeah, they certainly could. They generally don't. And you'll also find that they'll announce a buyback program. And they'll say they'll buy it back within two years, and, and two years pass, and they didn't fulfill their agreement to buy and back their stocks. Sometimes they don't do what they say they're going to do, too. Now, wouldn't they get in trouble for that? Because it sounds like that, that when you mention you're going to buy your own stock back, that that would raise the price of the stock up. You would think so. But they'll have reasons like we had better uses of the money. Maybe we wanted to put the uh, money into buying a new company. That was an opportunity. You know, they'll, huh. they'll come up with something. But I've yeah. seen them announce buybacks and then not actually follow through with the whole buyback. Yeah, that's not right. No. Appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Thanks. Bye. 888-99 Charter is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Frank and Blythe. How you doing, Frank? I have a question about where I should be putting my investment dollars. I've got several hundred going into my 401 and about the same amount going into my 457. And then I'm also doing a small monthly amount into a just a brokerage account that I'm playing on the stock market. Should I be switching some of those funds into the Roth IRA? How old are you? 42. Uh, do you have a current Roth IRA? No, I do not. You have a 401k? I have a 401k and a 457. Okay. Are you currently working at the place where the 401k is established? Yes. Okay. So you got to leave it there. The 457, is that a current active 457 account? Yes. So you've got to leave both those there. So you really can't do anything with a Roth IRA with those monies. And if you're making too much money on an annual basis, you can't even open up any IRA. So it depends on how much money you're making, Frank. You might be making way too much. You might be one of those rich guys. I wish. <laughs> Don't we all wish, okay? 401k and 457 for everybody else. Those are retirement types of accounts. Frank, you're 42. If you're going to open up a retirement account, either an IRA or Roth IRA, it should be probably the Roth IRA, not the okay. regular IRA. But you may be precluded with these retirement accounts you have, and you have to talk to your tax guy or your accountant because he knows how much money you're making. And he can tell you, okay, yeah, you can do it. And you can do that like March or just before tax time and open it for this year Next year, you can open it for the year before. Oh, okay. I can still take the deduction. Correct. Now, the deduction is on a regular IRA. A Roth IRA, you do not. You pay with after-tax dollars. But all the growth that you have over the next years, you never have to pay a tax dollar on anything that grows in that Roth IRA. Okay. I guess I'm kind of looking, too, as I'm putting money into the stock market into yes. a real stable one. Would I be better off putting those monies that I'm putting into that into the Roth? Probably, because you can invest it in the same things. Oh, okay. Let's say your uh, current account is at E-Trade. Right. You can open up a Roth at E-Trade, a Roth IRA, Okay. and, and then you can trade it the same. If I trade within the Roth IRA, is that money is still non-taxable? All non-taxable, yes. That is cool. Okay. All right. That's why I'm thinking, do it. <laughs> you know, it's got some nice advantages. That'd be sweet. Frank, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Fred in San Diego. How are you doing, Fred? Hi. Um, I would like to know, are there any general guidelines for setting a hedge position? Take a generic one. In other words, what I'm concerned about is 
how to um, set those proportions, would it have anything to do with the uh, proportion of the numeric risk at the time you set it? In other words, for example, if you want to set a um, hedge for the uh, index of the uh, S&P or the uh, NDX, how would you proportion it? For everybody else, let's make sure we understand what a hedge means. A uh, hedge, everybody, means that you're in a position and you want to protect it from going down. Most common hedges are they're in a position, you made a lot of money, it's been going up, and you want to hedge it or hedge the whole portfolio against a fall in the market. So that means you put on positions that will go up when everything, it goes in the opposite direction is what it wants to do. So Fred's asking, well, is there rules as to how much of a hedge? Yes. In other words, how much would you put into going long or short to create that hedge? Okay. Um, would it have anything to do with um, what you assess the risk, per numeric risk at that time would be? In other words, if you assess that the numeric risk is three going long and one going short, would it be have anything to do with that? There's many ways to hedge. Uh, you yeah. can hedge with options and. Oh yeah, just take a, a generic, uh, uh, you know, long short position, okay. which can be done with the ETFs. Well, let's say you feel that the the odds of the market are going up or continuing to go up are very strong. You have to determine that, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, just say you think it's uh, three to one. In that situation, you wouldn't want to put more than 25% a short position. For instance, let's say you have a portfolio of stocks that you like and you still think they're going to go up, but you're worried about the overall market. You can short the overall market, but still hold on to your positions because some of them still may go up, but even though the market goes down. But yeah. how much is that is basically what you think the risk is. But yeah. uh, there's no general guidelines. No. Um, no. no. Okay. It's all individual and how much risk are you comfortable with? Okay. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate the call. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions, so we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? You told us some time ago how to, a couple of methods to figure the value of a stock. Would you repeat those for me? Certainly. I'd be happy to, Jay. There's two very easy ways. That's now, these, of course, are not the only ways, Jay. Yeah. But these are two very easy, quick ways to do it so you can get an idea if you're overpaying or underpaying for a stock. The first one yep. is takes next year's earnings per share. Next year's earnings per share. Let's say it's a dollar per share next year. Not this year, the future. You want to know what the future is. And let's say that earnings per share grew 20%. So this year, maybe the earnings per share is 85 cents, and next year it's going to be a dollar, and it grew about 20%. Okay. All you do is take 20 that percent, 20, the number 20, times next year's earnings per share of a dollar, and that stock is worth about $20. Where do you get those numbers? There's a number of places. They're all over the Internet. You go to MSN Money. You can go to Yahoo Finance. And all these will give you earnings projections for next year and tell you what the earnings are this year per share. I see. And then all you do is look at it and say, oh, okay. They may not give you the percentage. But they'll tell you, okay, the company made $0.72 cents per share this last year, and the analysts expected to go to a, uh, earn $1.20 next year. Well, gee, well, how much is that? That's $0.50. Cents. That's about an 80% increase. Yep. 80 times next year's earnings per share, that's the stock price. 
That's the number one. The second one is you should never pay more than about two times the market capitalization for the sales that the company is making. So let's say the company is selling a billion dollars worth of product. And the total market capitalization is $5 billion. What is a market capitalization? Simple number. It's a number of shares outstanding times the price of the shares. That number is $5 billion, and they're only selling $1 billion. That means that's more than two times sales. That's not a very good number. Never pay more than four times sales. That's a very bad number. So that just gives you an idea of the overall bigness and how much sales to relationship is. And that's important relationship. Those are two ways to evaluate a stock. Very fine. Appreciate the call. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, call it savings plan. Well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART is our number, 888 992 4278. Let's go to Gary in San Jose. How are you doing, Gary? Well, I have a question on uh, gold reserves of. Uh foreign countries that are in sovereign debt. Okay. And if they start selling their gold to get out of their debt, what would that do to the market of gold? Well, of course, it depends on how big their gold reserve is, Gary. I mean, if it's huge, it would definitely put a huge downward pressure on the gold price. But most likely, if you're talking about a normal country or average size country, it won't probably do much to the gold price. It probably won't because they have, what they'll do, Gary, is they'll hide the fact that they're selling it. You won't know until after the fact, you know, because they also yeah, hide, I, they hide the fact that they're buying it. You know, China does, India does, everybody yeah. does. I've never heard anyone talk about uh, the sovereign debt in relationship to their gold reserves. Yeah, most of the time because they hold on to the gold reserves because it's worth something. They usually don't talk about it because they don't usually sell it. And if they did, it would be a function of their uh, Federal Reserve, whatever they would call theirs in their country. And that would be a secret kind of behind-the-scenes thing going on to gather some money. Then they would announce it to us, and we would even never know about it. I listen to your show every day. Well, I appreciate that, Gary. Thanks for the call. I really do appreciate it. Thank and, you. And keep up the good work. Thank you. Let's go to Thane in Antioch. Hi, Thane. How you doing? Good. I had a uh, general question for you. Sure. My mom has entrusted me with $50,000. Her net worth is probably about two hundred. Okay. But she wants me to do some conservative, you know, so I was thinking some dividend-paying stocks, mm -hmm. and, you know, she wouldn't mind if that 50 dropped to uh, 45 or something, but if it dropped much more, she'd probably start getting a little bit nervous on me. Okay. Uh, conservative. You really shouldn't use the word conservative and individual stocks in the same sentence. Okay. You know, now, there are less risky stocks than risky stocks. I, I will give you that. But the word conservative probably is a wrong term. Let's talk about what would be good for your mom. I would suggest large dividend pay in stocks like you have just suggested. Stocks that we know do not go down too much, don't go too up too much. They're kind of staying the same. If you do me a favor, make sure you get about 10 or 15 different stocks. Okay. Of this nature. There's that against the rules. Yeah, you know that 3% rule. Thane, if you give me a call in the office tomorrow, I'll be happy to give you some names. Mm -hmm. I don't mind helping people where I can help them. 
but I can't give names out over the air and just yeah. do these. It's just If you ask me a question about a stock, I'll be happy to answer it. We're going to go to Jimmy and Sam Ramon. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Steve. Uh, I'm a new listener. Uh, Great. I'm new to uh, this whole investing thing. I actually have a investment set up with my union, but uh, I've been looking to spend maybe $1,000 to get into my own stocks, building my own stuff, and I was wondering what you thought would be a good one to get into with that smaller amount of money. Well, just to let you know, we can answer questions, but I can't give you recommendations. How old are you? 24. This is a great time to start thinking about it because the market over time will give you, oh, 10%. That's what it's done over time for the last 7,500 years. Mm -hmm. 10% return. The question is, a lot of people don't get that return because they have no clue what they're doing. One of the problems that most people do have is they let their emotions get involved with their decision making. Mm Mm-hmm. When they see their prices are going down and the stock market's crashing, they get out. You gotta look longer term. When they see the market going up and just up, 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 they put more money into it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if you really wanna be successful, when you are at your saddest and you feel like you just wasted money putting in the market, that's mm-hmm. when you put more in. Uh-huh. And when you're at your happiest, that you're making a ton of money over the years, and look at this, this stock, this, my stocks went up the last six months to 100%. Sell, take it out, take <laughs> some profits. You play your own emotions that way, you'll be a lot better off. So the one thing you need to do is figure out how to evaluate stocks, how to determine whether this is a stock that's overpriced or is this stock on sale. Uh-huh. Stick with the price of stocks that are on sale, but at the same time, those same on-sale stocks, you want to be in an uptrend on a chart. In other words, the stock has been moving up consistently for a while. That's how you pick stocks. Uh-huh. If you give me a call, I will be happy to give you some value methods that are not very difficult. Uh-huh. And then on the websites, there's a ton of places. One of the easiest ways to evaluate a stock, and I'm going to give it to you right now, is take next year's growth rate of a stock. Multiply that times its earnings estimates by the experts for next year. Remember, the stocks look forward, not backward. So if the earning for next year is going to be a dollar per share, it's always a per share issue. If the earnings is going to be a dollar per share next year, and it's growing at 20% a year, multiply 20 times a dollar, and the stock price fair value is about $20. Sounds good. Okay. Great. Good luck, and you'll love it. I started at 21. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 